Interior. Night. Recording studio. Two redheads begin pre-show warm-ups. Red leather, yellow leather, red leather, yellow leather. Jack, write that you gargle your water or something. Jack gargles some water. And then put that we say, welcome to Script Shop. Who? Me or you? Mm-hmm. You say it. Welcome to Script Shop. N- no, but like, really, say it. Like, right now. Like, right now. Let's go for it. Welcome to Scrimshaw. No, Jack. Top. <laughs> Omaha. No, Jack. Welcome to Script Shop. Script shop. <laughs> Script shop show. Ba-bum. I don't have da, a real da, strong rhythm. We're both redheads. We don't have good rhythm. <laughs> I didn't plan a rhythm da, out da, for da, this da, ahead da, of time. Da, da. Okay, do you know, uh, first of all, before I get into this story, Hi, welcome everybody. to Script Shop. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show. I'm Jack. I'm Allison. And this I, is Script Shop Show. So once um, Brendan Haig and I were sitting in a bar. Yes, this is our mutual friend, Brendan. Mutual friend, B. Uh-huh. And uh, we had had some drinks and he decided, I don't know if it was him or me, but we decided to freestyle. Okay. And he's legitimately... At least fine. I've had moments like this with him too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so he starts freestyling, and I, for the life of me, cannot even keep a beat Yeah, with my hands in that Like just moment. clapping like a 4-4 thing? Yeah, it was like Steve Martin and the <laughs> jerk. It was, yeah. I don't know hmm. what happened to me, because, you know, I'm not a bad dancer or anything. No, no. Or maybe You're I am. You're an energetic I dancer. Think, well... That makes me feel like I'm a bad dancer. <laughs> I didn't mean that to sound like the backhanded uh, compliment that it was. Well, that's all right. Anyway, welcome to Script Shop. Hi, we have rhythm, and uh, we also like to talk to writers about their rhythms, bum, bum music, and dun, their dun, uh, dun, dun. plots and their beats and their acts. Yes, and all nice tie-in. Um, tonight, we're going to be talking with Adam J. Stevenson, Ooh. who wrote a fantastic script called "Searching for Landmines." Um, it is dramatic, a 109-page feature. It is powerful. It is thoughtful. Yeah, it's, it's thoughtful. Uh, it's intense. Yeah, with a lot of really, really great structure to it. Another mm-hmm. one of those well-patterned-out uh, screenplays. Is Adam are we, are we, Is Adam J. Stevenson, are we keeping it that formal? Uh, well, we can ask we can him. We can just ask him. If you've got something that you've written and you'd like to submit it to us, uh, it's this simple, scriptshopshow.com slash submit, mm-hmm. and you can send in uh, some of your writing, and we can read it and talk about having you on. Yeah, we also talk about writers online on uh, Facebook, Instagram, mm-hmm. Twitter, as well as our website, scriptshopshow.com. So if you're interested in seeing who we are chit-chatting with and talking about and um, being in love with at any given time, please check us out on social media, like us, follow us, and then get on iTunes and write a review because you just can't get enough of these two. (laughs) Yeah, of course. (laughs) Wow. Uh, I also like to tweet about things that like, I'm watching Uh, at a given moment. I've been watching a lot of Godless on Netflix, which is crazy good. Godlessly good. God, it's obscenely good. It's insultingly good. good. Yeah. Insultingly good. Yeah, I'm mad at how good it is. Oh, ooh. what episode are you on right I'm now? I'm like ep- four. I think I just four. watched episode four. Yeah. What just happened? Uh, well, I mean, the, the the bad guys are still riding around, still trying to track people down. There have been some surprising deaths. Yeah. At least one surprising death. Dun, and, dun, dun. Uh, you know, they're just, it's the good guys are chasing after the bad guys and the bad guys are sort of chasing the good guys now. And mm-hmm. there was a bit of a cliffhanger at the end of four. Godless is very good. It's on Netflix. You should watch it. Cool. Um, I've been watching Big Mouth. Yeah. Yes. Cartoon Big Mouth. Yeah, Big Mouth. I think that show is hilarious. It is capital R rated, but very funny. It is so funny. In the last episode, they ended with uh, something about they're like children masturbating. Wouldn't that just be child porn? 
And then the characters say, well, maybe we could make it into a comic strip. That would be okay, <laughs> which is exactly the whole premise I'm of getting that nervous. show. Like, there's a lot, it's, it's a very... Uh, I don't want to say it's a very intensely funny show. Yeah, and it you got to be honest. You got to have an open mind about stuff if you're watching Big Mouth. But Nick Kroll put together a, a really a good, very puberty focused mm-hmm. coming of age cartoon. Very very funny. Yeah. Uh, the script that uh, Adam speaking wrote, of children coming of age, that's are, much better. There we go. It's Our lead character segue. is a high school teacher. And uh, we're excited to talk about Adam with it. We should uh, get Adam on uh, yeah. the line right here. Adam, uh, hi, welcome to Script Shop. Hi. Uh, I'm excited to be here. This is fun. Nerve-wracking. Should fun. we stick with Adam J. Stevenson or just go with Adam? How, Mr. How, Stevenson. How casual are we going with this? Um, I prefer Lord and Emperor Stevenson. There we okay, go. Sure. I got it. Uh, Let me... Lord I'm making a note. by Adam Stevenson. The, uh, the J was added because Adam Stevenson, that uh, whatever I use, was already taken. Oh, somebody else beat you to the punch? Yeah. Yeah, which actually like turned into a complication on a project because uh, I was getting call sheets for like two months emailed to me, oh. and they didn't have that J in there, and it was being sent to the wrong guy, and then that guy would forward it to me, but uh-huh. with like angry emails all the time. <laughs> oh, like, Tell your people to get it right. <laughs> I mean, him. They eventually fixed it so that I was getting it, but they never deleted him, so he was still getting them all. Oh my gosh! Did he work in like a? Was he like trying to find work in acting roles and stuff too? No, but it was such a funny thing that like because it was a call sheet and like it, you know, it took him a little bit to figure out what it was, looking at the format and like, but it's got like the movie name and like stars on it and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, he found me on IMDb. Wow, found (laughs) my website and then he emailed me. It was like, hey. Um, got the same name as you. They're sending this stuff to me. Please fix it. This is my like work email. And oh, it's oh man! my inbox. Oh. He, he was a little angry about it. <laughs> I'm glad he didn't just show up on set and pretend to be you. <laughs> I wish that would have been cool. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, I found there yeah. are other there are other Jack Crumleys out there that I found online. Uh, there's one of them that I consider the bizarro version of me. He's like, he lives in Florida. He's tall. He's really athletic. He puts up like these short little videos on YouTube of like how to use exercise <laughs> equipment. He's left-handed. Like he's opposite. In, he's bizarro Jack. And like, I'm, I'm interested in communicating with him, but there's no way that I can do it without Just being think about, about him it. telepathically. I'm sure he'll show up for you. Yeah, we're all in, yeah, we're all in you, tune. You stalked the other Jack Crump. Like, are you one of those guys that like, Makes a Facebook group and then just adds all the Jack Crumbles uh-huh. in the world. No, but I why should I've I've thought about like friending all the different ones that I found out there because there's a handful of them. Oh my god! Yeah, and it, the, my weird. Well, but see, the issue it is my weird ego on it would make it so like I'm the normal Jack, and all of them are just variations on me, which I don't think would sell very well with anybody else in this potential group. <laughs> but is, that's that's my ego problem. This is like a screenplay waiting to happen. <laughs> You're the Jack of really all Jacks right now. Yeah, like I'm, I'm, I'm creating a beat sheet as we speak. <laughs> uh, it's gonna be just make sure it's shot in low lighting. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I mean, if the one from Florida, we could probably have a spotlight on him. Well, yeah, he's. I think he's got a lot of spotlights on him as it is. <laughs> uh, so, Adam, let's talk about where you're calling us from. Yeah, where are you at? Um, I'm actually <laughs> sitting in my car in the parking lot of Celtic Studios in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So wow. why wow. are you in your car in front of a studio and uh, also Baton Rouge? I'm trying cool. to break in in the hopes that they will put me in a movie. Wonderful. Uh, no, actually, I've got a, um, a class. 
tonight. Uh, after I hang up with you guys, I'm going to go to an acting class. Oh. But it's one of those weird things of like, okay, if I did the call from home and then did the commute, then I'd be super late. So like, I just told the teacher, like, I'll be there when I get there. But if you see me in the parking lot, please don't come up to my car. <laughs> oh, well, thank you for trying to plan yeah. your schedule around for us. That's very thank sweet. You. Um, yeah, this is fun. You can let us know if you need to run it at any given point, too. I take mean, the phone in I with you. Good. Yeah, just take it into class. We can interview you in the middle. We'll just record we just listen. your class. Uh, it'd be a whole weird thing. It's uh, You know this, Allison. It's a Meisner class. So, yeah. like, you would just hear a bunch of people repeating the same things about each other back and forth. No actual conversation. It just gets weird. Yeah. Um, so you're an actor, then, for our listeners to know. Yeah. You're like, how many different hats are you wearing here between writing and acting? What else? Um, so I'm doing rewrites on Searching for Landmines right now. I just wrapped acting in an indie film and a, um, uh, a TV series. And then I'm working as a casting assistant for a big studio feature going on. So I'm, I'm a multi-hyphenate. I do anything that anyone will hire me to do at any given time. Do you feel like having to bounce between all these different roles enhances your ability to do the others? Or are there any of them that kind of get in the way of each other? I think the only thing that gets in the way, it's, it's hard for me to shut off my production writer brain when I'm acting. Mm. So it's, it's hard for me to just be truly in the moment if I in any way see like a flaw in the script or if I see that oh, yeah. something on the production side, I'm like, Oh man, they're going to have a hard time editing that. Or like, like if I, I, it's hard to not feel like a crew member uh, mm-hmm. when I'm acting. And I feel like I, it makes me a better writer to know everything else that's going to have to happen to make the things on the page become a final film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, did you start as a writer or did you start as an actor? It seems like you have more of a, like a, a, a firsthand touch on a lot of this stuff. So I'm just interested in how you got into the industry in general. Um, my degree is in secondary education, English. Wow. And I uh, moved to Chicago with my wife who was pursuing a graduate degree and, um, couldn't get a job teaching to save my soul. Uh, like, Basically, it was just kept getting told, uh, you know, you don't have any experience and I'm fresh out of college. So, of course, I wouldn't. Uh, so I started substitute teaching and then working as an extra um, just on the side, getting on sets. Then decided I wanted to work more of the backside of the industry. So my, my step into the industry was interning at a talent agency mm-hmm. and started pursuing becoming a talent agent first. And then I realized that I was getting jealous every time that I called an actor to tell them they had an audition or anything. So I was like, okay, well, instead of being a bitter agent, why don't I see if I want to become a bitter actor first (laughs) and decided to like pursue that angle. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. a logical progression. I get that. So, so how long have you been acting then? Uh, that was 2008, so uh, nine years, coming up on 10 years. Yeah, cool. I mean, so you're pretty invested in it. Yeah, yeah. This is the longest I've worked, like, any job that I've ever had. What's it like going from this thing that you actually went to school for for years and years and you were trying to get into that job, and then the side gig sort of turns into the new main gig? That's a that's a lot of mental math to do and shift around. Yeah, I think ultimately, though, it worked out for the best in the sense that I didn't have a lot of teaching experience, but even coming out of college and my student teaching and substitute teaching, 
I started learning I, I love teaching, but I hate the public school system. And I hate all of the things that you have to do as a teacher that have nothing to do with actually instructing anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually, I do teach quite a bit now, but I'm, I'm teaching youth acting classes or I'm coaching improv groups or I, I do workshops trying to teach people about the industry side of things. And so like teaching is definitely something that I'm still ingrained with. I just was not built for uh, the American school system. You know, you sound very entrepreneurial in terms of this industry. Um, so oh, you gotta be. Yeah. I, do you just want to talk about your take on this and how you kind of like make these other opportunities happen for yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, it's, you know, the, the cliche is right. It's, it's a business. It is the entertainment business. Acting is a business. If you're in it just for the sake of art, that's great. And I'm glad that you're passionate. But if you don't have the business side, no one's ever going to see your art. If you don't get it in front of people, no one can appreciate it. If you don't sell yourself, because you as an actor, writer, even producer, whatever you do in the industry, if you don't sell like you, that you are good at what you do, then no one's going to buy it. And then no, you won't get the opportunities to make what you're trained and prepared to make. And And that's the worst thing to me when I've been in classes and I see fantastic actors that are never going to get a shot at making it a career because they don't know how to network. They don't know how to effectively promote themselves or market themselves or get out there and like, just let people know that this is what they do. And it's, it's very telling when you, when you meet people like at events or parties or something and you're like, Oh, I know that that person's an artist, but when you go, you hear them in conversation, like, Oh, what do you do? Oh, I, I work at, CVS, I, you know, I'm, uh, oh, I work for Uber. I work, they, they, they lead with the side job that feeds them, not the thing that they want to do. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Man, that is a hard practice too, because sometimes it can feel so challenging to say that you are one thing when you're not currently doing that one thing. Um, but I guess that's just the mindset, you know, knowing what your end goals are, knowing what your personal vision is for your career and latching onto that. Yeah. Do yeah. You... I, you know, so someone asks me, what do you do? I'm an actor. It doesn't matter that I have three other part-time jobs in order to be an actor, or it doesn't matter that I am in a class and not currently on a set. Like I'm still an actor. That's what I'm pursuing. Yeah. Well, it's about how we define ourselves, right? I mean, yeah. everybody sort of has their own lens and work plays such a role into the way we define ourselves. And that's, yeah. I mean, you're choosing to say, yeah, I'm an actor, even though there are other things that you do that may pay the bills a little bit better. Yeah. Um, how did you make that transition from like acting to writing such a script such as Searching for Landmines? Yeah, this is intense, man. Yeah. Well, the uh, the writing came First, in the sense that, have you ever heard of NaNoWriMo? I have. Uh, there's a couple people I know that post about it on Twitter. But for those that haven't, just talk about it a little bit, please. Okay, so with my English degree, I, of course, was, teaching was the backup because, of course, I'm going to write the great, next great American novel, sure. right? Yeah. Uh, so I, I was working on writing some stuff and found about NaNoWriMo, which is uh, National Novel Writing Month. Mm-hmm. And it's this um, project, I don't really know its history as far as like when it began, but I know that they do a lot of philanthropic things that I think it is considered a nonprofit and just tries to get people excited about literacy and writing and um, 
getting books into schools and different things. But every November is NaNoWriMo, and you can sign up on their website for free, and you essentially have the entire month to write a short novel, 50,000 words. 50,000 words is your goal, um, whether it's completed, whether it makes sense, none of that stuff matters. It's not judging the quality of the writing, just that you sat down every day, wrote, and hit that finish line of 50,000 words. So I think it was maybe 2009 was the first time that I'd heard about it, and I signed up for it, and I started writing the novel version of what this script ended up being. And it was a piece of garbage. <laughs> like, uh, but I, I, just, I sat down every day. I cranked out my like three to 4,000 words a day and just kind of kept going at it, going at it until I, you know, I'd met the mark, exceeded the mark, and then got done, walked away. And like a month later, I came back and started reading it. It was like, okay, I like the kernel of this story, but this is terrible writing. And I think I just rug it into the trash can and deleted it from my computer. <sighs> What, um, what was it that made you want to shift it from a novel and more straight prose into a screenplay? Uh, I guess as I was getting more involved in as an actor and actually like committing to like, okay, this is the industry I want to work in, I started writing some shorts and was also studying at Second City at the time in Chicago yeah. and starting to write sketches and uh, learn how to write in their format. So I was like, okay, well, what does this all look like? started reading books and reading scripts and figuring that format out and then decided, well, okay, I'm, I'll take a stab at it. And it was mostly just to practice the, the style of what a script is supposed to look like and format like that I decided to go back and use this novel and this idea, I guess, as the, as the starting place for it. I saw that this script was originally written in 2014. You have that um, on your cover page as being the first yeah, draft. That's not accurate. Yeah. When, when do you think you first um, wrote the first screenplay draft of this? First draft was probably late 2010. And I think I have written probably three drafts of it a year since then. Wow. And I think I updated it with the 2014 when I was submitting it to a contest or something and decided that it would look bad to submit it with a four-year-old draft date on it. So I just <laughs> lied on the date just because I was like, I don't know why, but mm -hmm. I thought that that might negatively affect it if they're like, oh, this has been sitting in a drawer for four to five years. Yeah. What do you think it is about this script that keeps calling you back? Uh, I'm a perfectionist. I see flaws every time I read it. And it's, it's reaching a point now where um, I, I've started putting it out there and trying to, you know, let other people read it, send it out to people, try to use it to get a literary agent and, um, and trying to give it the feel that it's finalized just so I'll stop tinkering <laughs> with it. But, I mean, this is kind of your baby, right? You've had this, this. This is a thing that you've been developing for a long time. Yeah, yeah. So we should maybe talk a little bit about some of the elements of the script or where this is coming from, because you talked about being a teacher and mm -hmm. the role of the main character in this. He is a teacher. Is that, Where did the yeah. nugget, where did this idea come from about this teacher who has cancer? There's a lot of adoption themes in it. Where, where did this generate, where did this germinate from? Um, okay. So 
the teaching side is because I'd always been given the advice of write what you know. And so I knew a little bit of what it would be to be a teacher. So I started with that. Uh, Aaron is very much based on me because, again, write what you know. So uh, I was writing from where I was at that point. And uh, the cancer side is I have a really, really abnormal birthmark on my foot. Okay. It's on my uh, second toe of my left foot, and it pretty much is the entire tip of my toe. has this really ugly mark on it that my entire life, whenever, like, doctors see it, if my, you know, shoe's off or something, or my mom looks at it, she's like, I don't know, that looks weirder than it did last time. You should get it tested. You should get it tested. You should get it tested. And, like, it's never it's never been cancerous. It's all, it's no one's ever actually had like cause for concern for it but they've you know they've taken a piece of it before they've biopsied it and everything and so when i started to write i sat around kind of daydreaming like okay well i need some sort of reason for this for aaron to to go on this journey of self-discovery and and reconnecting with his his daughter if he can find her like so what would make someone kind of go oh i'm running out of time like okay well cancer seems like or an illness seemed like the most logical choice. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anything about medical things. Like I'm not that intelligent with that. And I did next to no research. <laughs> so I was like, hey, everyone keeps saying my birthmark might be cancerous. What if his cancer just started there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Jack, do you want to lay out some of the beats of the script too? Yeah, sure. Just because we are getting into some of the big themes, I want to give a little background for our listeners about your script so they can follow along. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so Aaron Aaron Hollow is the main character. He is an English teacher, and he is not exactly thrilled with where his life is at this point. He's uh, married to a woman who's worked her way up in the business world and isn't home a whole lot. He's starting to experience some initial symptoms of this cancer that he has severe symptoms like he's he he loses control of his bladder in the middle of class i think in the opening scene yeah um starts to go to the doctor to check things out there's there's a line that uh i thought was a a a theme of the show the idea that that doesn't look like it belongs there because it it references the tumor in his leg uh his feelings of not being connected to his wife and uh, uh, in addition to aaron's whole thing there's a little girl named angela who's a teenager uh, and she's adopted, and she has these feelings of maybe not necessarily feeling like she fits in. She's interested in knowing who her birth parents are, but her adopted parents are fairly protective of that information. Um, so it, it, it's, it's a lot of it is just about wanting to feel that human connection, looking for some kind of connection with someone. Your place amongst things. Yeah, trying to find their place. Yeah. Yeah. And, and these two, of course, start on a journey uh, to find their place and to find, for example, Aaron wants to look for a daughter that he gave up for adoption with his wife, and Angela goes in search of her birth parents, and then they intersect as well, uh, kind of in the big city, uh, getting into a little bit of trouble there. Yeah, they both sort of hit up the same adoption agency and sort of run into each other. Aaron is really fed up with everything from his wife, and he's just trying to, I think, find some kind of peace for what he figures are these last moments of his life because the doctors are very intent about the fact that, Aaron, you need to get this taken care of. There's a good chance you're losing your leg, but it's better than losing your life, and you need to get this done ASAP. And he's he's not that into it. He's not... Uh, yeah, um, Adam, talk to us about that. Like, why that that specific choice that he's not really interested in tackling his cancer 
but is more interested in figuring out what his life could have been. Well, I think that anytime anyone's sort of coming to that crossroads of, you know, you call it the quarter life or midlife crisis of what your life could have been, you know, it might be that moment that they kind of daydream about it. And then you, you move, continue with the way it is, or maybe you start to make changes, health changes, life changes, move somewhere, different job, any of that kind of stuff. But here's a guy that maybe would never have had those ideas, would maybe have just muscled through his, you know, mediocre life until something happened to him. So if it wasn't for this cancer, he might not have had a reason to confront stuff. And so then being told, like, you're going to die, you know, he kind of has this moment of like, okay, I mean, is there a reason I shouldn't? Yeah. Yeah. When you talk wow. too about in the script, he's he's a young guy. This is a quick onset. He's a young guy going through, like you said, like a quarter life crisis, and the idea yeah. of regret and death. There's a lot of Robert Frost that he's bringing up in his English class to teach these kids. They talk about the road not yeah. taken, and uh, what's the other one? Stopping by on a snowy evening. Yeah. The 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 role that poetry plays in this is really big. Yeah, that's uh, poetry was always sort of a thing that I gravitated to as a kid. And Robert Frost was always my favorite. So it was just one of those things that, again, write what you know, I started kind of pulling from things from my past and things that I was like, well, if I was a teacher in the situation, what's what's a way I could make an analogy for my students rather than standing at the podium and going, well, I have cancer and I don't know what to do about it. What do you, you know, 15 year olds think I should do? Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's beautiful that he doesn't. I mean, he never announces to the class. Yeah. He, at one point, one of the students asks him, are you okay? And he says, not really. Do you want to read the poem today? So it's one of those very metaphorical scenes where he is teaching them about Robert Frost and having them interact and engage with the poem, maybe as a metaphor for what he's going through. That's, it's heavy. It's, um, it's heartbreaking too. Well, and he's, he's very much in a, um, he's an avoider and he's, and I'm like this too. I think a lot of people are like this. It's like, we don't like going to the doctor because once someone says something's wrong, then it's real, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Your car is making a weird noise, but the second that you go to the mechanic and are told what's wrong, well, now it's real. Now you have to deal with it. So I think he very much uh, from the, the failings in his marriage, from the health issues, from the loss of his daughter, from not knowing what he wants to do with his life in terms of, keep it or you know fight the cancer or not it's very much if if he doesn't talk about it if no one talks about it if we keep the skeleton in the closet then maybe it's not that bad Mm. speaking of um his relationship with his wife i had the idea that maybe he wasn't really prepared to deal with this cancer which wraps into your like well why shouldn't i die thing because he didn't have any support really and i could you talk a little bit about the relationship with his wife uh, yeah, it's it's a relationship that was kind of bred out of, you know, accident. Like, they didn't mean to get pregnant, and uh, when they found out that they were, like, they started doing the things that young people would logically do. You know, you're in college and you get pregnant. Well, you know, I'm, I'm going to take care of that kid, so we should get married because that's what you do. And it's, it's you know, you started kind of moving down those social norms paths. And it's not until several years in that they 
you know, they're just not compatible. They should never have gone down that path. And likely there were people in their lives that saw that and didn't say anything, or even if they did, they kind of went, well, you know, this is what we've got to do. And Meredith is definitely uh, a stronger backbone than uh, than Aaron and has taken control of the relationship even from the get-go with saying, like, you know, what, we're not ready for this, so I'd rather give our daughter up for adoption than have us kind of be terrible parents saddled with this burden. And Aaron goes along with that because, you know, it kind of makes sense and he doesn't have the strength of character at that point in his life to stand up against this woman. And then because their relationship is going south and he's taken this sort of pilgrimage to Chicago to get into the adoption agency just to maybe try to track down where his daughter is, he meets this young woman named Sonia who's working at a 24-hour diner in the city. And they have a nice – there's a nice connection there, which is uh, the little scene that we have for today. Yeah. um, Yeah. Adam, we're going to move into reading this bit from the script, if you don't mind. So – Yeah, absolutely. Listeners, just as Jack just laid out, we're going to have Adam and Sonia meeting in a 24-hour diner. Aaron. Um, pardon me, Aaron. <laughs> and it's always so tricky sometimes when sometimes. screenwriters write themselves with a, <laughs> yeah. a similar name. I had an issue with Peach Fest a few weeks back. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was funny. Uh, still is. Ha ha yeah. ha ha ha. Um, so we're going to jump into this, um, this scene. In this scene, I will be reading Sonia. Um, Jack will be reading Aaron. And Adam on the line will be doing all of our action headings. So, Adam, is there anything else you want to say about this scene or setting it up before we dive right in? Uh, no, I think I think this scene summarizes a lot of what's happening. So I think we should just dive okay. right in. Okay, you start us off then. Interior 11 diner hours later. Aaron has his back to the wall and leg propped up on the booth. His head is back and eyes are closed, but his eyes twitch behind the lids. With a jolt, he wakes up. Sonia is standing at the end of the booth. She begins clearing away several dishes and coffee cups, the detritus from his dinner. I'm terribly sorry. I, I, I just nodded off. Yeah, it happens. But normally it's homeless guys at 3 a.m. Aaron swings his leg back under the table. Uh, another cup of coffee, please. Maybe you should just go get some sleep instead of fighting it. I don't live near here. There's a, a Hampton Inn around the corner. I'm good. I like it here. Suit yourself. Would you like some dessert with your coffee? Sure. Sonia waits for his order, but Aaron loses focus and stares off into the middle ground. This is usually where a customer tells me what dessert they want. Oh, if I was, if I was only going to eat here once and never again, what would you recommend? Sonia nods, leaves the dishes, and walks away. Aaron wipes his hands on a napkin and notices his wedding ring. He takes the ring off. It is strange and foreign now. He balances it on its side and spins it on the table. Sonia returns with a fresh cup of coffee and a large piece of cheesecake with fresh blueberries and chocolate syrup drizzled over all of it. She puts the slice down in the middle of the table and slides in across from Aaron. All right. I'll bite. What's your story, sad sack? She hands Aaron a fork and has one for herself as well. Excuse me? I'm bored. I've got 30 minutes to kill before clocking out and you're my only table. Aaron looks around. There are only five other patrons. Three are at the bar talking to the soda jerk and obviously his buddies. A young couple poring over textbooks share another booth in the far corner. I'm Sonia. Aaron. Just visiting. Yeah, just needed to get out of the house, I guess. You live in the burbs? Yeah. They both eat the cheesecake. 
This is very good cheesecake. Ask nice, and I'll tell you the secret ingredient. And you can have one whenever you want out in your burb. I'm, I'll probably never get around to making one. Sonia takes a bite and smiles. What do you do, Aaron of the Burbs? I am a teacher. 10th and 11th grade English and a journalism class. Shouldn't you be chaperoning a dancer watching the school play? Sonia smiles again. Aaron forces a smile and pushes a blueberry on the plate. All right. I'm trying to cheer you up. You look like a guy that needs that. This is one of those rare times where a stranger is trying to make a connection with you. How about you give me something to work with? It's complicated. It's really fucking complicated. <laughs> give me the Cliff Notes version. Teach. Aaron takes another bite of cheesecake. Sonia takes a bite and then runs her fork through the chocolate and sucks on the prongs. I have cancer. Bad. Not that there's good, but not much time to deal with it. I haven't told my wife because she's cheating on me with her boss, so I'm not so sure she deserves to know, and I'm not sure why we're still married. Sonia sits with the fork in her mouth, no longer interested in cheesecake. He takes a bite and continues while chewing. We got married because she got pregnant, and it seemed like the right thing to do. We decided shortly before she gave birth that we were not ready or capable of being parents, so we... I say we. She decided we should put the baby up for adoption. He takes another bite. Not having kids freed Meredith up to finish school and pursue her career, which led to the job that she's fucking now. Saying it out loud makes everything very real. Aaron wells up with the truth. I'm not happy. I haven't been for a while. I want to just say something, anything, but I don't know what to my daughter before I die. Hey, Adam, can you hear us still? Are we losing you, man? Yeah, I'm, it, I'm not sure what's happening. Cool. That's okay. Just hold on one second. We're going to have Frank pop in to read the rest of the action headings with uh, me for the rest of the scene, and then we'll figure out you for the rest of the talk, okay? Yeah, we'll be right back to you. Just stick with us, okay? All right. So, Jack, give us the, your line at the top of 63. I'm not happy, and I haven't been for a while. I want to just say something. Anything, I don't know what, to my daughter before I die. Sonia lowers her fork. Aaron wipes his eyes with a napkin. I guess that's the Cliff Notes version of my shitty Lifetime movie. Any advice? Aaron takes a sip of his coffee. Mm, this is cold. I, um, wow. I'm sorry. It's fine. I've had enough, I guess. Man, sounds like God or karma or something out there really hates you. This idea catches Aaron. He starts laughing. Hard. <laughs> Sonia joins him. <laughs> it is contagious. His laughter turns into more crying. Still with a smile. <laughs> I need to clock out. <laughs> she squeezes his hand and grabs some of the dishes. Then you are coming with me. The cup of coffee and heel of cheesecake remain. Aaron picks up, picks up the cheesecake. He sees his ring on the table, picks it up, and drops it into the dregs of his last cup of coffee. And, and scene. scene. There we go. Yeah, we just wanted to finish that out, making sure we got all the words on the page out to all of our listeners. Um, Adam, can you hear us? Yeah, yeah, I can hear you fine now. Um, That's so intense, man. Yeah. 
So he he basically just pours his heart out to this waitress. Total stranger. Yeah, total stranger, which we know happens. Mm-hmm. You know, we all have worked in bars, or if we haven't, you should, so go get a bar job now. That's oh. something that happens when people need connection. It's easier sometimes. Yeah. Um, Adam, have you felt like this before? Like pouring out to a stranger? Yeah. yeah. Um, I've felt that way, but I don't think I've ever actually done it. Like, I'm, I'm cool talking to strangers and stuff i like when i'm eating by myself i often engage my waiter or waitress or someone around me just because why not but no i've never felt like oh let me tell you all of the terrible things that are going on in my life at that moment and i it it may help that i've never had this many <laughs> terrible things happening at once like aaron is going through like i've never had that type of pressure on me like this guy is having so where did this relationship between um, Aaron and Sonia come from? A lot of this stuff uh, and, and a lot of the stuff with Angela and stuff with Meredith, it's, it's all just imagination. It was all just sitting down and honestly approaching the writing a little bit like an actor. Like, okay, I have the idea of, who, of the backstory for these people. So if that's my backstory, what would I say in this moment? How would I react if I say this? Well, and then Aaron says this, then what would I say after that? And so I, I, writing for me is very much a fluid acting exercise in that. It's a little bit of like a, an improv exercise when it comes to dialogue. So you see Sonia being introduced as a way for him to just continue along this journey and continue along the self-discovery? Yeah, he needs someone. He clearly has a very small circle of people that he could talk to, and he's not having this conversation with his coworkers. He, he needs insight from someone else entirely you know the thing we haven't really gotten into too much you mentioned angela and we talked about her a little bit there's a whole second story there's there's really two different stories going on in this i think aaron sort of gets the bulk of the focus but this story of this angela this teenage girl who has to walk a really interesting line i think in this script of she's a teenager but she also you know recognizes that her parents are good people even though they've mm-hmm. made some bad decisions and she doesn't want to be you know quote unquote bad there's a lot going on with this teenage girl yeah. character too yeah it, this this uh script is very much a two-hander and she's kind of having a uh i mean they're both really having a coming of age moment the difference is that Aaron is doing it much later in his life for a different reason. But Angela is, is an adopted Korean girl who um, her parents are uh, pastors of a church and deeply religious and, and use that a little bit as a crutch for trying to mold their their daughter into what they want her to be. And so Angela's reached a point, she's uh, 16 in real years, but her parents treat her like she's 15 since that first year she wasn't with her so it's it's this whole psychological thing they're doing there that's really messed up yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) i had never heard of anybody um approaching anyone like that before yeah that was a new thought that's a new yeah same here yeah i i don't know anyone who's ever actually done that but i was involved enough in churches especially uh in high school and i know enough um, I'm sort of the mentality within, especially evangelical churches, of like your people that wouldn't celebrate their birthday anymore. They started celebrating the year they gave their life to Christ. So you would meet them, and they would be like, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm 35, but I'm 15 in the years in the Lord, or something like that." Mm-hmm. And 
they would say phrases like that that always kind of caught me. Like, well, that's interesting. Um, yeah, you bring up I, the uh, chastity ring too. Is that another right. one of those interesting um, the purity ring? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That was also something from within the churches. There was there was a uh, movement for a while in the. I mean, I don't really know the years, but I guess the late '90s into the early 2000s called "I Kissed Dating Goodbye." It was like this big popular book that came out. It was this whole idea of you don't date, you don't hold hands, you don't even like consider being emotionally, romantically attached to anyone, let alone physically uh, attached to anyone until the Lord tells you. Until I, I like I don't know, a dove comes down and whispers their name. I have no idea. Hmm. But where did you uh, grow up again? The Gulf South. Uh, I was mm-hmm. born in Texas and. My dad worked for natural gas industry, so we moved back and forth between Houston suburbs and New Orleans suburbs and uh, Lake Charles. And yeah, that so feels like a every couple years as a kid. Yeah, that purity ring thing sounds like a very southern religious yeah, practice. Yeah. yeah, it's a very southern thing. Um, yeah, I've never really heard of anyone doing it outside of down here. <laughs> So Aaron and Angela are on this journey of self-discovery and get there through this whole adoption. That's where they're, what's what they have in common, the idea of adoption. That's not yeah. the most common topic in a, in like a movie or in a script. Is there, uh, do you have a personal connection involving that? I, I mean, for sake of story, I wish that I did, but no, I honestly just thought it was a cool idea. <laughs> I'm not adopted. I don't really know anyone personally that is adopted. Um, at least not in in a way that I would know the details of that. How easy and how hard is it? What are some of the challenges of having, like you said, a a two-fister, a two-hander, where you've got these two characters that have to be on sort of similar arcs, and then they meet up? Is is it easier than writing with one main character? What are some of the pros and cons of doing it that way? Um, One of the things that I liked is... I felt like it was easier to construct the entirety of the story to get things moving. I feel like when I'm writing a feature that's just from the point of view of a single character, I've got maybe 50 pages, 60 top worth of act one, two, and three, or, you know, the arc of what's happening. And then you start going, okay, well, I, I guess I need to do this. And I feel like I have to start like shoehorning stuff in for length that I tell the story almost too briefly or quickly. Uh, so having two characters that I'm essentially following for the whole first half of the movie independently, um, it was easy to kind of go back and forth and, and allow time to pass. So while Aaron is sitting at home waiting if, to see if Meredith is even coming home and when she gets home and he's waiting there to try and confront her about some stuff and talk to her and try to fix a little bit of something in his life, well, we can jump over and see what's going on with Angela, and she's up late dealing with her her neighbor and and dealing with her parents, you know, in the purity ring situation and all of that. And so, like, I can bounce back and forth and tell very different stories, um, and it it I feel like it makes the script move. Whereas, um, if you're especially because there's such heavy material with Aaron with the cancer and and the life and death. Uh, kind of going back and forth in his mind, I feel like it could be really, really heavy and just sort of oppressive to just stay on that story the whole time. Yeah. Let's talk about the life and death of Aaron real quick, because we do 
within the last few pages. Oh, yeah. There is a lot of air sucked out of a room when he's at home by himself taking a lot of pills. So do you think that he, from the beginning, is just on this path to suicide? Or do you think that this is an idea that surprises him throughout the course of his journey? I think that it's probably been a voice in the back of his head for a while, even before maybe getting sick. Not necessarily of committing suicide, but that voice of like, what's the point? Why am I here? Like, yeah, I'm a teacher. I like teaching. I like my students, but they could get another good teacher. Like, what's what's keeping me around? Um, and when he decides, like, okay if I'm going to die, whether it be by my hand or by cancer's hand, like the end is looming. Let me see if I can find my daughter. Let me see if I can find some sort of glimmer of something. Um, and it's, you know, the glimmer he finds just isn't quite shiny enough. Uh, so I think that's, that's that final uh, nail in the coffin as you would. And that's despite him like having the the assignment to the students with the with the don't kick the bucket list, where they're supposed to list reasons of things that would keep them alive, as opposed to things that they would want to do before they die. Yeah, I think despite giving that assignment, I think his list was too short. Mm -hmm. I I don't think that he had anything on it. Mm -hmm. So I think while he's trying to encourage them to find reasons, I, I think he has a little bit of a. I, it's more of like an admonition of you guys need to have long kick the bucket lists. You need to have reasons to get up. He's like our, our Captain America flashback scene. And he sees this yeah. guy on the beach, literally searching for landmines yeah. way past retirement because it's something that gets him up and keeps him moving. Yes. Um, and I, I think Aaron's list, I think he would have sat there looking at that piece of paper, trying to write it and not had anything to write other than a big question mark next to Grace, question mark. Maybe she's a reason to stay alive. Right. Grace being his daughter that they gave up when she was born. Yeah. The uh, there's another element in this script too, where he has some dreams that he has that kind of motivate him to even get going to maybe try to find whatever happened to this little girl in the first place. What's it like to try to write like a dream sequence where you're you're, you're trying to say something, but it can't be direct because it's a dream. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of freeing. I, I like very surreal things. I like stuff that, that plays with space and time and light. And like, you know, when a film does that, well, you get it without getting it. You know what I mean? Like you walk away and those are some of the, that's some of the imagery you continue to think about, or it's some of the things that like early on, you're like, I don't, I don't get it. Why is this guy having these, uh, sequences where he's on a beach and then he's on a beach and there's crabs and then he's on a beach and he's crabs, but there's also a girl and like, and then he's trying to chase the girl, but she's running away from him. Like what is like, it just keeps building and building and building. And and I find that that's something that kind of keeps you invested. Like you, you almost want to see how the dream plays out as much as how reality plays out. Right. And as an audience member, you're watching it and you may have a little more insight into the fact that you know it's a dream and it's supposed to be a message or something more than what the character who's actually having the dream would be able to infer. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it is so interesting, too, because, again, you're talking about kind of um, approaching writing 
from this production side, from this crew member feel. Yeah. So you've got all of these things really working in your favor to tell this epic story. Um, are there any other projects you're working on currently that you'd like to chat about, Adam? Yeah. What else you got going on? Not that you're too, not too busy already. Um, well, the, a couple of things I'm busy with, unfortunately, I, I'm in that weird world of non-disclosures that I can't talk about them. Oh, it's cool. It's just uh, us talking, man. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it, um, I do have a short film that Allison is very familiar with. Uh, it has played alongside hers called Huevos Rancheros. We programmed oh, yeah. it with Texican here in Cincinnati. I saw Huevos. Very I like that a lot. friendly. Yeah, I like that. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, so you, you came out to the Texican screenings too? Yeah, I was at the uh, the Cincinnati premiere. You guys might have met there, honestly. Yeah, maybe. Possibly. I met a lot of a lot of Allison's crew that week. Jack's totally <laughs> forgettable. It's fine. Yeah, that's it. It's, I'm <laughs> unremarkable in every way. Uh, you look like someone who might live in Florida, right? And, <laughs> yeah, and I'm left-handed, <laughs> and I'm very athletic. Yeah, yeah. That's right, yeah. Um, but no, so I've, I've got this short film, Huevos Rancheros, that uh, we produced, a, I guess, a little over a year ago now, and it's it's played at, uh, I think we're at 10 different film fests now. Um, so I'm I'm wrapping up sort of its festival run. I think it's got one or two more times that it's going to play before I can say like okay we did what we're going to do with it let's put it out online and and just sort of put it out into the ether of the internet for people to enjoy um finishing up that and uh searching for landmines is taking a lot of my time right now because uh down here there's a nonprofit group that's trying to focus on bringing more production to louisiana and i submitted my scripts to a competition they did called the la to la uh, pitch fest, hmm. and I'm one of three winners of that. Congrats! That's so awesome. Kind of, thank you. But uh, so right now we're kind of in the process of like refining my pitch and talking about the script and and working out little angles and little different things. So I think in January I'll go and meet with some managers and producers and pitch it to them. And I no idea where that might go. Um, and then I'm also working on writing another feature and, and exploring all of that right now. So, yeah, just spending Plenty all of things. Time. So we would love to talk to you after you get through this whole pitch thing. If you're interested in coming back on the show to chat about that process and yeah. how that went for you, we would totally be into hearing it. And I'm sure all of our listeners would as well. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Yeah, absolutely. It's a new thing that I'm learning about. I've I've never done that before. And I find that's where I'm like weakest when it comes to talking about things that I'm writing is I can tell I can sit down over coffee and I can just tell you the entire movie, but I can't like I can't do the elevator pitch quite yet. I can't just give you the like log lines are the worst thing to me to try and take it and break it down to just that. Mhm. If somebody out there who maybe wanted to get in touch with you short of sending you an, an irritated email by looking you up on IMDb, <laughs> what's uh, what's the best way for somebody to find you if they're interested in, in this work? Um, you can find me on Facebook, Adam Stevenson. Um, I'm not really on Twitter. Like, I've got an account, but I never check it. Instagram, I'm also at Adam J. Stevenson. I use my middle initial there. Mm. Um I don't know, you can reach out, you email me. Just make sure you put that J in there. So Adam J Stevenson at gmail.com. I'm, poor, I love, poor other Adam. like I said, I'm a teacher at heart. So I love just 
going back and forth with people. It's a very iron sharpens iron idea. So if you, mm. if you're a writer and you want to share your stuff and I can share my stuff, we go back and forth. We're all going to see different things. It doesn't mean that we have to embrace what each other sees and make changes, but we can at least go, okay, if I'm trying to communicate X, but I give it to Allison and Allison sees Y, oh, well then I didn't communicate X well. Yeah, that's cool. I like the idea of iron sharpens iron. I dig that. Yeah. Cool. Well, Adam, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck in your acting class, and I hope you have plenty of time to prepare and get in the right headspace for that. We love busy Absolutely. entertainment people, and we're happy that you have a lot going on. Thank you so much for inviting me on. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks, thank man. you. Appreciate we'll talk it. to you later. All right, bye. He's a smart dude. I know. Short of a few phone connection issues like that he's so great to talk to yeah he's a smart guy that's i think a... we talked at him even when his phone died so we <laughs> yeah. had a good time I think, yeah i'm fine with it <laughs> yeah smart smart it's so interesting when people take those huge career jumps too mm-hmm. it takes so much courage to be able to move from one like whole history of learning one thing yeah. to another that is hard yeah and in, in knowing that you do it in, in the moment because you you need to keep your head above water that's yeah that's, that's a lot that's a brave thing to do and that's Good for him. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so we like you, and if you like us, uh, we would love for you to check us out online, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Script Shop Show. Uh, you can connect with us. You can see little pictures that we take in yep. the midst of things and talking about various things that we're watching and reading, and uh, we'd just love to uh, connect with you. That would be great. Script Shop Show on Facebook Instagram and Twitter. Yeah, and if you're interested in submitting your script, we are definitely interested in reading it and talking about it. So you can send that in through our website, scriptshopshow.com slash submit. Uh, recommend your friends, recommend your mom, mm-hmm. recommend your babysitter who recommend, has a screenplay. Recommend your mom. <laughs> She's got... <laughs> Sounds like you're, I'm punking somebody. I was going to say, you're, you're kind of talking some smack to people right now. Yeah, go and recommend your mom. I wish I had thought of it that way. That's the only way I heard it. <laughs> You're going to have to pick it up from here because now I'm just laughing. Well, anyway, uh, thanks, guys. Please uh, give us a listen. Check us out on iTunes. Leave us a rating. Oh, leave boy. us a review. And uh, we would appreciate it very much. Thanks a lot. And until next week, that is a wrap. Wrap. Script Shop was created by Allison West. Hosted by Allison West and Jack Crumley. Produced by Frank Steele. Thanks to iHeartMedia Cincinnati for use of their studio. Intro music, Retro Soul by bensound.com. Outro music by purple-planet.com. Special thanks to all our guests. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.